it's time for part two of one of my most popular and possibly controversial episodes, 10 Ways You May Be Hurting Your Health According to a Student of Chinese Medicine. On part one, I share 10 ways and I got a little bit overzealous with this one. So we're sharing 11 ways on this part two. So total 21 ways. Today, I am going into herbs, emotions, diving deeper into five element theory, talking about periods, cravings, and so much more. Like in part one, this one is full of information. So make sure you have your pen and paper ready. Make sure you are not running cheat efficient. Get a good meal in you and get ready to dive in with me. As always, please take everything I have to say with a grain of salt and remember you are the authority on your health. If something I share doesn't resonate with you, then you are absolutely allowed to disagree and move on. However, if a tip I share feels triggering right off the bat, it's a big emotion, I invite you to sit with that. Let that emotion subside for a bit. And if you calm down, cool down and decide, yeah, no, no, this this really isn't for me, then honor that. However, if you are questioning it, then I invite you to consider testing out these theories that I share. They are not theories based off of solely my opinion. It's based off of thousands of years of ancient medicine. And of course, feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or concerns. You can also get a treatment from me at the Florida College of Integrative Medicine. I am there till December 2023. You can find all that information in the show notes. I know there's so much valuable information in this podcast and sometimes creating notes can be overwhelming. So if you would like me to send you an organized PDF, maybe I'll even color coordinate it and to send it to you, I'm going to propose a little trade here. I need I need more reviews to get this podcast going, to get it bumping and out of its grassroots phase. So if you would like to help me out and receive the show notes, leave me a review, write me something short and sweet, send me a screenshot, send that screenshot over to me and I will send you the PDF notes of all the information I cover in this episode. You are listening to the School of Whispers podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie, and this is my space to get real, open and weird about my life experiences as a psychic, medium, energy healer, and student of Chinese medicine. On the show, I'll be sharing my healing journey and the concepts I've learned along the way, and I'll be having guests on talking about the same sort of thing. I am so happy you're here, and I hope this show leaves you feeling inspired and empowered to learn how to listen to the whispers of your own body and spirit. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to part two of the series of 10 ways you are hurting your health according to the perspective of a student of Chinese medicine. God, that is such a mouthful. <laughs> and I, I hope that this is a welcome back for you. This isn't your first episode of the podcast because I am going to jump right into the ways that you're hurting your health. I'm going to skip the philosophy and all the background into Chinese medicine that I shared in the first 
episode of this two-part series. So if this is your first time listening, please pause, check out the show notes, and I have a link to the episode that I want you to listen to first. And if you really just want to listen to the points on this episode, that's totally fine. Just give that part one 20 minutes. Listen to those first 20 minutes so you can understand where I'm coming from when I'm talking about five element theory, yin and yang, and all that good stuff. I definitely will be referring to five element theory in more depth. So when that does come up, I will do a quick little recap because it's definitely one of these are one of these things that you want to learn again and again and again. And once you get past those initial rudimentary layers, then things start to that that basic level that you thought you completely understood, then all of a sudden you understand it from a whole new different level and perspective. All right, I think we're ready for number one on the list. Number one is using the same herbs and spices every day. I'm going to include supplements in that list as well, and I will get into that in a little bit. But to start, I'm going to use turmeric as an example. We all know and love turmeric, right? We've been told it helps with chronic inflammation, helps with arthritis, all these things, you know, inflammation. It's like this big buzzword. It's this thing. It's the baddie that we're all trying to fight. And when we hear about turmeric, we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's fight that inflammation and let's have it every single day. But that's a, I feel like that's a very Western mindset. When something works, we overdo it. We want to do as much as we can about it. Like I think about all the extreme diets that are all around, the carnivore diet, the vegan diet. I really think that we are, well, I know. And well, I mean, this is my my world view of human beings. We are ever evolving. We are never going to be the same human being that we are in this moment. And we need to constantly adjust to that knowing. So to really drive this home with the example of turmeric, in Chinese medicine, there are three versions of turmeric that, that at least I know of that are relevant to different seasons of our life because they have different properties and actions. So one of the versions of turmeric is actually a different version of turmeric, a different species of turmeric that we know. So I'm going to cover the two versions of turmeric that we know, that which is called curcuma longa in Latin. And so one version of Curcuma longa that is really common, super common, is yujin. It's also known as Indian turmeric, and it is the roots of the turmeric plant. And it's the version of turmeric that we see in the grocery stores all the time. Its properties are acrid, bitter, and cold, and they are relevant to the heart meridian, the lung meridian, the liver meridian, and the gallbladder meridian. So what does this really mean? Well, I'm not going to confuse you too much with the TCM, the Chinese medicine versions of actions and indications, but Yujin, Indian turmeric, is known for promoting the movement of qi and blood and alleviating pain. This specific version of turmeric is for stagnation with heat signs. And to take a moment to sit with blood stasis, to paint a picture for you of what it's like, I think a great example would be like 
unmoving, stabbing pain somewhere in the body. Maybe it's from an injury, an old injury where there's a lot of scar tissue or classic example is when a woman has a really painful menses and when they bleed, they pass purple blood clots. That's a sign of blood stasis. It also helps Eugen helps speed up healing of chronic sores, alleviates pain, it clears heat, it cools the blood. And when there's hot blood in Chinese medicine, it's when we have things like nosebleeds or we're coughing up blood. It's like the the example, the, the, the picture they create is the blood is so hot that it's not being held within our blood vessels. It's wanting to jump out of the blood vessels here. And again, this is Chinese medicine. This isn't Western medicine here. I don't know. I don't know so much about blood jumping out of the blood vessels in Western medicine. Another really, the last two really interesting properties or actions that Eugene has is it can actually calm agitation and anxiety, and it can also benefit the gallbladder and help with jaundice. So gallbladder disorders such as having like gallbladder stones. But here's the thing, Eugene sounds great, right? Why wouldn't you wanna use it? Well, you wouldn't want to use it if you didn't have any of these issues. It's just not relevant. Literally in front of me, I have a list of contraindications. And one of them is contraindicated for those with no blood stasis. It's also caution for use with pregnancy. Also caution for experiencing distension or obstruction with qi deficiency. And I'm not going to get into what qi deficiency is because I don't think you should use this podcast to diagnose yourself. Um, but the the last conjugation is, is when you're yin deficient due to losing a lot of blood. So say you're currently on your period or you just finished your period and you bled a lot and you're feeling anemic, a little bit dizzy, lightheaded, like you are got a little bit of like issues remembering things. And you're thinking, oh, you know, my period might be bad because I have inflammation. That doesn't mean that you should run to turmeric for this very reason. So the last version of turmeric I'm going to touch on, again, in the most basic level, is Jianghuang, which is the turmeric rhizome. Completely different tastes and temperatures. It's acrid, bitter, and warm rather than that cool and bitter flavor. It is completely different in its entering meridians. It enters the spleen, the stomach, and the liver. So it's going to battle blood stasis in those meridian lines in in the body. It's going to unblock menstruation, similar to Eugene. But this type of blood stasis is more from like a deficiency cold, or I I would call it more yang deficiency. But, you know, it's really not, that doesn't matter that much for you to know this. I just want you to realize, oh, this is blood stasis of a different type, or it's possible to have blood stasis from a different pattern. The turmeric rhizome, basically a rhizome is a underground stem that it's like that thick stem of the turmeric plant. And it also, it does other stuff like reduce swelling and help with arthritis and whatnot. But actually what's really cool too that I want to talk about here is one day I asked my professor, she's Chinese, Dr. Xie, and I asked her, one of my clients asked if I should be using turmeric and I didn't really know what to tell her. I know that we should be aware of the properties of turmeric certain plants but at the time I hadn't learned about turmeric it was actually that day we learned about the three different types of turmeric so I asked her 
what do I say? What do I say to my patient? And she said, <laughs> in the most indirect way of answering, she said, in Chinese medicine, we rarely use a plant alone. And this is why we have formulas. So what she meant by that is find out why your patient is using turmeric. Find out which version of turmeric she's using and what her goal is. Where is she having blood stasis or inflammation? And then you can find a formula with other herbs in it that can give that information to the turmeric plant. For example, if you have blood stasis in your shoulder, you have sharp stabbing pain in your shoulder from an injury, you're going to combine jianghong with cinnamon, guizhi, because guizhi is, is, they call it like a guide or an envoy, and it's going to give the message to the turmeric plant that we need to bring our anti-inflammatory blood-moving properties to the upper body around the chest directly to the shoulder. I hope this is making sense. So that's that's my take on turmeric and formulas at a, at a very basic degree because I want to really get back to my point of taking the same herbal supplement and herb and spice every day is you not really being aware of what season are you in? What is your what's going on with your body? If you love paprika and you love spicy foods, there's nothing wrong with that, with loving those foods. I'm not trying to <laughs> I feel like in the last podcast, I kind of bummed out a lot of people these things that they really, really love and they swear by or they want to have all the time. I kind of was telling them, no, you can't have that. And Shoot, I actually didn't mean to say this before I dive in. I mentioned this in the first podcast. Maybe I mentioned it in the intro, but you are the authority on your health. And I will get to that in a point later on in the show. But everything that I'm saying, I really want you to take with a grain of salt. Yeah, I I know in a lot of ways, I know what I'm talking about, but I am not the authority on your body and your health. You are. I don't know what it's like to be in your body. And I don't have to live with the repercussions of your lifestyle choices. So you have to use put yourself on a higher pedestal than anyone else in your life and train yourself to understand what's really going on in my body. So anyways, we have all these supplements that are kind of pushed on us and these herbs that are kind of pushed on us to to lose weight, to do this, to do that. But the truth is herbs are so much more complicated than we think. I remember my friend, she sent me a TikTok and it was somebody talking about using hawthorn berry to lose weight. And yeah, hawthorn berry can help someone lose weight. But the question is, is why are you struggling to lose weight? What is the pattern that's going on in your body? And does Hawthorne Berry address that specific pattern? It really, it's such a tough world to be in with this herbal medicine because yes, I want people to to consider there's another way. There's another natural way. And herbs are so intelligent and so loving. I love, I love, love, love my herbs. And it's so cool how when you can really get a deeper relationship with herbs, you realize they have a whole history, a whole personality, a spirit that you can work with. But there's so much more to them than use this to lose weight. Use this to 
you know, X, Y, Z. You have to really consider what's going on and you need to have a framework for of a lens of to understand what's going on in your body. And I know that not all of us have the privilege of studying, you know, ancient medicines like Chinese medicine to really get to the depths of diagnosis. But that's why, again, that's why there are Chinese medicine doctors. That's why there are herbalists. We're not meant to go at this completely alone. We're meant to find outside help. And how what I believe as somebody who will soon be a doctor and an authority in this space is it's my prerogative to teach you how to think for yourself, how to make the right decisions for yourself and to empower you. So my big, I guess, bone to pick or warning about supplements is we we take them and sometimes one, we buy a brand that is just full of shit. The FDA is not very well regulated when it comes to supplements. And oh my gosh, my husband was watching this bodybuilding documentary and they were talking about the the supplement industry within the bodybuilding world. And these guys were talking about how easy it is to start a supplement company. And then they just did. They just, they put a bunch of fake shit in some pill capsules and they used their buff spokesperson to say like take these just like I did and then I will be you will be buff but turns out he'd had a lifetime of training hard to look the way he did and they used his image to to trick people into buying their product so definitely be skeptical of a lot of supplement companies look at where they're sourcing their products, look at the ingredients that are within the supplement. Is it really just magnesium or is it a bunch of other shit that you really don't need? But talking about like what you don't need, some people are popping all these supplements and pills all day and because they think that's going to contribute to their well-being, but it turns out that might not actually be what you need. And I know that I might be making your life a little more complicated when I say this, but you should probably get blood work and work with a somebody who can read blood work to help you understand where are you actually deficient and what are supplements that would actually help you rather than pumping a bunch of random shit that you really liked their ad and you really liked that they had to say and they somehow convinced you you need this to feel well. Don't let yourself be fooled by that advertising bullshit programming. So blood work is a really great place to start if you really do want to have supplements in your life and you want to understand what's going on. And again, you can find somebody who can have that lens of understanding herbs in some sort of way so that they can understand if you don't want to do the invasive procedure of drawing blood, you can have somebody diagnose you and then talk to you about what you can do. You really got to get the the diagnosis and the understanding, the little nuances of your body and the way that things happen for you within you is going to empower you to make the right decisions. For my people who are more into the energetics, there is another way that you can tune in to see if an herb or a supplement is for your body right now, and that is through muscle testing. Muscle testing is a technique when one is tapping into the subconscious library. So we have our conscious library, 
who's aware of everything that's going on. And then the subconscious li library, if you ever heard of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, the subconscious keeps the score without making it completely conscious so that you can go throughout your life without being horribly distracted by all the information that's being processed and held in your body. I honestly don't have time to go into muscle testing right now, but I do talk about it in actually one of my first podcasts. It's in the one where we talk about the whispers of your guides, ancestors, and higher self. And I also cover it a little bit in the whispers of trapped emotions and entities. I'll also link a an Instagram post that I did way back when about the, that goes into the different ways that you can muscle test. I also recommend reading the book the Emotion Code by Dr. Bradley Nelson. If you want to dive deeper into muscle testing and use it in your everyday life, like I have, to to figure out, is this food, herb, supplement going to serve me right now? To give you a quick example, somebody gave me yellow goldenrod tincture. To it's It's like an uplifting herb, and there are other benefits, but I won't get into that. But she told me, for those days that you feel a little bit down... This is, this is for that. And in the beginning, I was using it all the time. And then I remembered, okay, Steph, you don't need this all the time and actually might negatively affect your body. So I started muscle testing and I learned that my body doesn't need this herb to uplift it every day. And it's funny too, because the days that I didn't listen and I did it anyways, I started to get acid reflux. So listen to your body. So wrapping up, number one, please don't use the same herbs and spices every day, all day across the year. Switch it up. Look into seasonal herbs and spices, how to support your body within a season. Maybe go get a diagnosis from a TCM. TCM, by the way, means traditional Chinese medicine. A TCM doctor and find out what they would recommend that you, what herbs and spices they recommend for your certain pattern, and then do a follow-up appointment. Come to them a couple weeks later and see, all right, how did these herbs support me? Make, make a little food journal, and am I in this same pattern, or has my pattern changed in a different way? Number two, Number two is not allowing yourself to cry or crying too much. We're jumping back into the five element theory here. So the five element theory, to remind you, it's a circle of elements and each element is generating or pointing to the other. So we have fire generates earth, earth generates metal, metal generates water, water generates wood, and wood generates fire. There's also a couple of arrows within the circle that create a star, but I'm not going to get into that because it does complicate things. So we're going to focus on the metal element here. I don't think I've touched on metal on the podcast, so I'm excited to dive in. The metal element, you could also see it as minerals. How So earth generates metals or minerals. Without the earth, we would have no minerals, and that's where we get a lot of our essential uh, I mean, ideally, <laughs> ideally in a world where or in a society where our soil is not over farmed, we get a lot of minerals from our soil of the earth. So the color for 
the metal element is white and the organs of the metal element are the lungs and the large intestines. The emotion of the metal element is grief and sadness and the sound of the metal element is crying. There's a lot more to the metal element but I'm going to stop us here. I think there's a weird balance of crying in our society. You might be someone like me where you grew up not feel, feeling really weak when you'd cry, feeling like a little baby, feeling like you're way too sensitive. All right, show of hands here, guys. Raise your hand if your family has ever said to you that you are too sensitive. Hands up, hands up. <laughs> That's definitely me. I was told a lot. I'm so sensitive. I'm too sensitive. And it had me believing that being sensitive was a bad thing. And I grew up into my young adulthood kind of looking down on others who cry freely and who feel and move through big emotions like like you're flowing through water. And you know, I really believe that that's how it should be. When an emotion comes up, we feel and we process and we move on. And in Chinese medicine, we view all emotions to be completely normal. It's when we repress or obsess over an emotion, that's where pathology can occur. So when you are repressing crying, you are stagnating and repressing your lung system. So the lungs in Chinese medicine, obviously they have to do with respiration, but they also, they are the govern the governor of qi. So we've talked about the liver being the general of qi. So the, the liver, it tells the qi, you do this, you do that, la 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 la. But the lungs, they're in charge of the transformation and creation of qi. In Chinese medicine, the two ways that we acquire qi, which is life force energy, is within our food and from the air we breathe. To get a little bit more nuance, we also have a, a, a system of qi in our body that is there when we are born. It's We call it our pre-heaven qi. And then so the air we breathe and the food we eat is our post-heaven qi. And so the lungs, they extract clean air in the form of qi. They call it zheng qi or ancestral qi. And then it's inhaled through respiration. And then the lungs, they move that qi to do other things like create blood, create nourishment, all this other good stuff. The lungs are also responsible for water metabolism. So moving water through the body, moving it down for excretion, moving it to the skin for moisturizing, moving it everywhere. And of course, again, I will say this, I don't know how many times you might get sick of me saying this, but I am massively oversimplifying all of this. So while the lungs are in charge of getting that clean chi, or they, I think they call it clear chi, it's also part of that system that expels the turbid chi or the unclean chi's through that <sighs> exhalation. When we are swallowing our tears, not allowing ourselves to feel sadness or grief, we are hurting that system within our body and 
as you can start to understand the five element theory, you realize that one system is going to affect another system, another system is going to affect the other. So looking at the five elements, metals generates water and the water has to do with the kidneys. In Chinese medicine, the kidneys have such an exponential role to everything. That's actually where our pre-heaven chi resides. So that first little ball of life that was you that began within this organ system of our kidneys the they call it the the basis the primordial yin and yang energies so the primordial water and fire that that's that burner that ocean that is begins within your kidneys I talk a lot on the podcast about our Dantian, which is a reservoir of chi. We have several Dantians actually. We have, and we actually have a Dantian in our lungs. But my favorite and the most powerful one that I have connected to is the Dantian of the lower chakra centers of the sacrum and the root. And part of the reason why that area is so powerful is because of our kidneys. So when your lungs aren't able to help, it's it's the mother of the kidneys. So when the lungs are being repressed, then they're going to deprive the kidneys of what they need. And it's when it when there's a deficiency in the kidney system, of course, it's possible to bring balance to any sort of disbalance within the body, but it's tough. It can be tough because they're so deep and intrinsic to every other running system. I also believe that when you are refusing to express your tears, then you're keeping yourself stuck in the past. Energy needs to be transmuted. And however you choose to transmute that energy, it's entirely up to you. But when you gotta cry, you gotta cry, my friend. And you might want to fact check me on this, but I was recently listening to a podcast with a doctor and she was saying that crying is one of the few effective ways that the body lowers its cortisol levels. I really thought that being stoic was so powerful and admirable and then all of a sudden I'm an adult and I'm trying to move on from the past and I can't fucking cry. I can't let go. And actually that makes me think about the Po, which is the spirit of the metal element, the spirit of the lungs. And I I will get into that in a moment, but I also want to talk about the other side of the coin where when we experience grief and we can't let it go and we cry and cry and cry all day, every day, and we can't stop ourselves and we, we don't, it's like we lose a grip on life. And again, we become stuck in the past. I think that the obsession and repression of tears makes us time travelers and not in the best way. They keep us from moving forward or even being fully in the present moment. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Po here. The Po is also known as the corporal soul or the animal soul. And it represents our body's unconscious and basic survival drives. It's the spirit that stores our body's memories from childhood and what drives our automatic and unconscious habits. So when the Po is out of balance, it expresses as an inability to, one, let go of the past, and a need to control our experiences. 
It also can show up physically as chronic pain, numbness, as well as wheezing, coughing, respiratory issues. When in balance, like so when in a state of balance, the Po expresses as an appreciation for the precious mysteries of life and the ability to flow through change and transition. I like to think of the animal Po as well as our ego, our id, our that first piece of our mind that developed when we were born. The Po is, it's that part of our soul that leaves our, it, it, it doesn't follow us into the next life. It leaves our body when we die and then we become, you know, consciousness, we become a soul. The Po is like the soul of your human. And just as important as that higher self, that interdimensional piece of our being is, our human, our ego deserves so much love and attention as well. A way that you can support your ego, your animal soul, your po, is to get a hold on your the sensations of grief in your body. Where are you holding back in that expression? Where are you holding on in that expression? And then you can find balance within all your other systems. All right, let's get into number three. Not looking at the colors and the textures of your bodily excrements. We're talking about poop here, guys. We're actually talking about poop, pee, menstrual blood, mucus, all of it. If you're squeamish, this maybe is not the podcast for you because I have never been squeamish about human bodily functions. And I think that it's a bit of a silly thing to shy away from bodily excrements because one, it's always going to be there. And I don't know, I don't understand if there's any merit to being ashamed of what your body does. And two, um, I don't really know what number two was. <laughs> let's keep moving forward. So let's talk about poop here for a second. When you don't look at your poop, you don't really understand what's going on in all the other systems in your body. Because Poop is an amalgamation of our spleen, our stomach. And if you remember in the first podcast, the way that I refer to the spleen is not in the way that the Western world refers to it. We're talking about the the way that Chinese medicine refers to the spleen, and there's a lot of energetic qualities here. Again, you have to listen to the last podcast to get get on board with me here on the spleen here. We talk a lot about the spleen and the liver. But yeah, our poop is also going to show what's going on with our liver, what's going on with your intestinal systems, even your lungs too. How our poop should look is formed, should be easy to pass, and there shouldn't be any undigested food. There shouldn't be any looseness or any excessive hardness. It should just be like a, all right, that happened, moving on with your life. <laughs> you know those poops that kind of stay with you and you're like, what the fuck was that? Well, that's a sign that there's something going on in your body. A good example that I think of a poop going wrong that I don't think we pay attention to is it's liver chi stagnation poop. So we have our liver who's the general of the chi. It tells the chi what to do in the body. And when the liver is stagnated, then the chi in our body is not moving well. It can kind of feel like it's hard to get a, a, a 
breath in. You might be having shallow breathing. You might be sighing a lot. You might feel irritable and so many other not fun systems. I think that when you have repressed anger in your life, and I go over that in episode, in part one of this, but anger is definitely something that really stagnates chi, can cause liver chi stagnation. And so how that sort of poop manifests is they call it goat pellet poop. So it's hard little balls and it's not a formed log. It's not really that easy to pass. And sometimes it can feel incomplete. If your poop's doing that, then it's time to spread some liver chi. And if you remember from the last episode, a great way to spread your liver chi is to sigh. Let's do it together. I love, I, I, I'm, I am a liver chi stagnation poster child. So, so let's go ahead and inhale in. That's one of the many great ways to move your chi. Of course, with urination too. So if you feel like you're drinking a bunch of water and you're not really peeing much out or you're drinking a normal amount of water or maybe not that much water, but you're profusely urinating out, that's also a sign that there's something going wrong or your pee should be clear and copious. So if it's and maybe like a pale yellow color to maybe clear, but you know, excessively clear, profuse urination can be pathological as well. If you have mucus in your stool, mucus in, I don't think mucus in pee is too normal or too much of a thing that really happens, but having like excessively cloudy urination, that's a sign as well. If you're taking a bunch of supplements and your urination is bright yellow, then actually that could be a sign that your body is not absorbing your supplements and it's being excreted out through your piss. And so when that's happening, you might want to look into what is a better bioavailable form of your supplement or maybe even ask yourself, is this even the supplement that I need? Because if my body is just peeing it out rather than absorbing it into my bloodstream, maybe this isn't the supplement that I am needing to find balance here. Another um, bodily excrement I think that isn't really touched upon is nasal mucus as well as coughing out mucus. If your mucus is really thin and watery, that's a sign something's off. That could be an excess of watery phlegm damp fluids in the body as well as thick. So thick mucus definitely we know. And when we when we're coughing out something thick, it might be something going wrong here, especially when it's thick and yellow. Yellow is usually a sign of heat in the body. So when our mucus is yellow, maybe it's turning green. That heat is actually might be turning into an infection in the body as well. Um, what else? Um, when you're mucus, so we have different types of colds in Chinese medicine. So we have wind cold, which is when your body, the the pathogen in Chinese medicine of cold and wind have infiltrated your body. So you might have chills more than a fever, your neck hurts, your body's aching, you feel contraction because you have that excess of yin in the body and yin slows things down and creates contraction. 
you might have profuse nasal mucus that is really thick and white. Your tongue might have a thick white coat on it. That could be, or no coat at all. It might be regular, uh, a regular pink tongue with thin white coat in the beginning stages of a wind cold. A wind heat, on the other hand, is when that Chinese medicine pathogen of wind and heat invades your body's system. So what that can look like is a sore throat, more of a fever than chills, um, feeling irritable, generally craving, sipping on cold water. You can be slightly, well, When if it, it's getting deeper in the body, you can become constipated because that heat is drying out the fluids. And you might have thick yellow or just normal yellow. It doesn't have to necessarily be thick, but yeah, yellow nasal mucus. Then that's a sign that instead of taking warming herbs like ginger or cayenne to push out this pathogen, you might need actually some cooling herbs like mint. I hope that I'm painting a picture here for you of the different bodily excrements that we have. It's so much fun looking at your own stuff. I want to touch on real quick on the nature of pimples and boils and things like that on the body. So we have two types of sores. We have yin sores and yang sores. So when where you get pimples on your face actually can reveal what's going on deeper in the body. In the show notes, I will include a chart of a face and you can start to, yeah, figure out what, where am I getting pimples and why? And if you're getting them on your back or your chest or even your abdomen, you know, that's all, it's all, that's all a part of it. So yin type sores are going to be kind of more hard. They're not going to really have a pronounced head and they won't really have like pus. They're actually something that you necessarily don't really want to pop. Whereas a yang type sore is going to have that angry red head. It's going to have yellow pus. And yeah, you can pop that. And I, I'm not an expert on Chinese medicine and dermatology. So um, again, take everything with a grain of salt. I'm just touching on here and there. But Pay attention to what kind of yin or yang sores and pimples are you manifesting and that's going to give you deeper insight into the, the if there's any disbalance in your yin-yang system. Okay, number four here. It's a little bit of a tricky one. I am, again, as you know, I'm not a doctor here and I think that some people might hear this and get triggered, but number four is taking antibiotics. I am someone who took a lot of antibiotics as a child and I didn't finish the course. And actually, let's include that in, you know, this number here is if you are taking antibiotics, not finishing the course here. So we have a microbiome and I feel like it's, it's something that's really popular these days. If you're not fully aware of what the microbiome is, I suggest looking it up. I think I talked about in the last podcast. I don't know. All the podcasts are kind of (laughs) blurring into one here. But we have, it's like nine to one of the number of microbes in our body versus human cells. So we're like a living hotel for all these microbes. And we have a microbiome in everywhere in our, on our skin And, you know, the microbiome of the skin at the top of your hands is different from the microbiome of the skin at at your palms. The microbiome of 
the front of your teeth is different from the biome behind your teeth. But I think the biome that is the most popular talking about these days is the stomach. So when you're taking antibiotics, you are killing the entire microbiome of your gut. As far as I know, maybe there's more biomes that are being wiped out, but I'm just going to focus on the gut here. And the microbes of our gut, they influence our our systems, our digestive system, obviously our cardiovascular system, our nervous system. They can influence your personalities and behaviors. So every time you're sick, you're trying to get, what are those things called? Like a Z-pack? Um, I remember, yeah, I think it's called a Z-pack. Or, you know, again, like assuming like, oh, I got a stuffy nose. I got to get antibiotics so I can just get rid of this, get it out. You're resetting your system in not the best way. You're completely wiping the slate clean. And now the body has to reprogram the microbiome in the gut to build the good bugs. There are good bugs and there are bad bugs. And those bugs are influenced by what sort of chemicals, products that we have in our home, the chemicals that are in our food, how many artificial things. <laughs> I was going to say food items that are in our food, but sometimes it's it's so artificial, I, I, I struggle to even call it food. And so I think you're, you're, you're getting the gist here of why wiping out your microbiome can be so harmful, but to touch on not finishing your course of antibiotics, if you choose to do that, then what you're doing is it's like you're giving a photo to the bad bugs that are causing your infection or whatever illness that you have going on. But antibiotics are for infections for the most part. And you're showing them a photo. This is what good bugs look like. This is what your white blood cells and your baddie fighters, this is what they look like, they smell like, this is what turns them on, this is what turns them off. And you're giving them that profile by introducing those antibiotics in your body. And then you're you're not completing that full course of the medicine. It's they have that profile and then they know how to fight those guys, those good guys. So yes, finishing a complete course of antibiotics, it will hurt your microbiome, but it will get rid of the infection if you finish the complete course. And then what can happen from there? If you don't finish the course, you can get what I got, leaky gut syndrome. You can develop a lot of other chronic illnesses. Antibiotics also can create a lot of rigid rigidity and stiffness through the body. It, it really is. I, I recommend you Google it for the sake of time. I'm not going to get too far into it, especially because I'm not a doctor, but it it can be a really slippery, nefarious slope here if you are somebody who's constantly, you know, more than once or twice a year taking antibiotics. So what do you use instead? Herbs, Chinese herbs. I posted about this on my story um, a while back, but the the flavor that kills infection, heat in the body is super bitter, 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 bitter. That's kind of why antibiotics taste like shit. And bitter is this beautiful medicinal flavor that our ancestors, when they were going foraging in the forests and the fields that they were searching for, they knew 
A bitter flavor is extremely healing. And so there are bitter herbs out there that can fight off infection. I remember I was getting chronic ear infections and I tried antibiotics because <laughs> I was I was desperate at one point. I was I was doing a different it wasn't a herbal protocol specifically for infections. It was one just to drain out mucus and dampness that I didn't it, it wasn't what was serving my ears and so I eventually went to antibiotics and again the, the ear infection didn't go away until I went to my whiz of a professor Dr. Chai she's a herbs genius and she prescribed me the most disgusting and not antibiotics um herbal formula that was super bitter and after two three months of having this chronic ear infection it all went away just like that and there were no negative repercussions on my digestive system, no tummy aches, no diarrhea, no yeast infections, nothing. My microbiome remained intact and probably better than before. And I know that a lot of us shy away from wanting to taste a disgusting flavor and that we want to take, you know, just pop the, the tea pills. Tea pills are herbal formulas that are cooked down, well, they're grinded up, cooked down, and then dehydrated and molded into these little pearl things or tablets and you can you can do that but i really really believe that the flavor profile of something especially bitter flavor as i'm discussing here and i will get deeper into flavor profiles in this podcast but that tasting that flavor smelling that flavor it begins the healing process from that point if I had the choice, if I have something, especially that's chronic, if I had the choice, I will always choose to drink the tea, no matter what it tastes like, over just taking a pill. All right, let's move on to number five. Number five is assuming a painful period is a normal period. I don't know about you, but I have grown up being told that it's just a part of being a woman to just have a shitty period once a month. It's just a part of it. Or if you do have a painful period, then let's make that stop by taking birth control. Let's make your whole period stop altogether. It was so strange to me when my gynecologist really pushed having a taking, skipping the sugar pill and going to the next pill so that I never had a period at all. And at the time, I didn't understand that the period, our periods can reveal so much of what's really going on within. But I just thought that it just seemed unsanitary to me to not shed our inner lining if, if it's something that we're supposed to do. And so the our period, from a Chinese medicine perspective, how it should be. It's a cycle. So it's an overall cycle. So when I say like, tell me about your cycle, some women start telling me about their bleed. We live by a 30 to 35 day cycle. And the end of that, or rather the beginning of that cycle, you can call it your moon, your bleeding phase, your period phase, your crone phase. That's the very beginning of your cycle. And you should bleed for about three to five, maybe six days. And the blood should be just like a red, normal color. Shouldn't be profuse, shouldn't be scanty. And maybe towards the end, the blood becomes a little bit more scanty and brown and then you stop. And that's it. 
There's no PMS. There's no weakening of the bodily systems. There is nothing rocking and wrecking you. Yes, I believe that when we are on our moon, that it is a time for us to go within. And it's a time where our psychic senses really open up, our intuitive senses really, you know, shine here. But that's a that's a whole other conversation that I don't really have the time to get into. One thing I really love, well, one of the many things <laughs> that I love in Chinese medicine with our cycle is they call our period blood precious essence. From growing up feeling like my period was something that isolated me, that made me dirty, that I was ashamed of, hearing someone refer in a textbook in a textbook that other students have to read and learn from, refer to our period blood as precious essence. God, it, it got me so emotional because it's it's so it's true. I heard that and I was like, this is the truth. So our period blood, it, it's so precious and it's so potent in so many ways. And again, I'm not going to get into that really right now. But what I do want to say is it can reveal what's going on in an organ level of where things are, can be dysfunction and dysfunctioning. And again, in Chinese medicine, organ energetic level. I'm not really referring to your organs from a Western standpoint. Say you have a lot of blood clots on your period and they're dark and purple. You got some blood stagnation going on, my girl. And that means your blood isn't being enabled to move. And a lot of that can be caused by liver chi stagnation. We can also have bright red profuse bleeding and of I want to say that passing blood clots is very painful so having hard cramps that can be really tough if we're having profuse red hot sticky blood that can mean that you have a yang excess somewhere in your organ system in your body on the other hand if your blood is really light and pale and almost watery and your periods are often late or if your periods are really early, then there's some sort of blood or chi deficiency. Your body's not able to hold your blood long enough to create nutrients, and so you're expelling that blood out. So these hormonal birth controls and non-hormonal, I feel like they 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 steal from our superpower of having these hormones have a natural cycle and flow and from understanding what's going on within our body. It's funny because when I was telling my mom after 11 years on birth control, telling her that once my period regulated out, it started becoming really painful. And she was like, oh honey, then why not get back on birth control? <laughs> it's like, because that's what made this a problem in the first place. I wonder if I allowed my body to bleed and I didn't trick my hormones and trick my body into thinking it was pregnant, what my cycle would be like now. And I'm not going to waste too much time wondering about it because it's meant to be because it already is. But I do struggle a lot with my period and I use Chinese medicine herbs as well as Amazonian herbs to get to the bottom of it because I really do believe that an excessively painful period that leaves me feeling at the end of it like I got hit by a bus is not a whisper that is a clear scream that there's there's something going on here so yes please I remember reading this book it was a book on like being a woman and in one of the first pages she was saying 
you know, part of, part of being a woman is just having a shitty period and having to suck it up and go on with your life. And you know, I fucking shut that book. I was like, well, this is not a perspective that's for me because at the time I was like, I refuse to believe that that's a normal part of being a woman. It's not, it's not normal. We should be empowered by our periods. We should be heightened and elevated by our cycles and not be victimized by it or to not shut it up either. Number six, number six is it's, it's a, it's a mixture of not listen again with like with the, the tears, it's a mixture of not listening to cravings as well as not of, of giving in too much to your cravings. I feel like in our society, we are craving two flavors, sweet and salty. There is a chart that I've seen once. I'm not going to dive into the chart here, but I saw a chart once and it was like what you're craving and what your body actually needs and sweet foods. If your body is craving sweet food, let's get back into the five element theory. If you remember, if you've listened to my other podcasts, sweet is the flavor of the earth element and that's going to be the flavor of the digestive system. So we, and, and then I also want to touch on that sweet like sugary sweet isn't really the 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 flavor that they're referring to because remember this is an ancient system and back then sweet wasn't like a normal thing that was that the way that it is now I think that they're referring more to like carby foods foods that feed the muscles immediately so like simple glucose sugar type foods but yeah, in our society, we are, I know I, I've got a sweet tooth and I also know that I'm incredibly magnesium deficient. So magnesium is a beautiful supplement that relaxes your muscles. It feeds your muscles. And if you're, if you, again, if you listen to my other podcasts, the body tissue of the earth element is our muscles. What we eat directly feeds our muscles. So if you are craving sweet foods excessively, then you might not be properly nourishing your muscles with what they need. So protein, amino acids, those types of things, those are really great way to feed your muscles, but also having good carbs that are easily shuttled to your muscles as such as rice, sweet potato, potatoes, earthy, starchy foods are also really great. You know, I think that we, we, yeah, in the, in our society, it's like fat-free diet, carb-free diet, carnivore, you know, I, I really believe again, again, it's all about the balance. We need those sugars from our fruits and our vegetables and our carbs. And we also need that flavor and very valuable flavor profile of a meat that has fat and protein within it. Again, if you are craving sweets, it might mean that you are magnesium deficient because magnesium is a mineral that's going to relax your muscles. And it's like if you're feeling cramped and stiff and rigid, you probably need some magnesium in your life. And I, I realize that I'm ignoring the other minerals and vitamins that have to do with 
craving sweets. I mean, I think that magnesium is definitely a part of the sweet flavor profile. I think traditionally, though, in Western medicine, it's seen more if you're craving chocolate, then that means you meet, you need magnesium. But I think it's under the profile of sweets. But also, if you are craving sweets a lot, you probably need some more carbon, phosphorus, sulfur, tryptophan, which you'll find in sweet potatoes and fruits and other natural food resources. And unfortunately, a lot of our soil is overfarmed. That's usually why fruits and vegetables have those minerals in them because they absorb them from the soil. And so there are a lot of cases where that's just, it's our, our food isn't giving us these minerals in the first place and we need to take them as extra supplements. So that's really what you're needing, not an extra cookie. Then there's salty. Salty is the flavor of the water element. Salty is actually a very medicinal flavor if you look at seafood. Seafood is beautifully medicinal for the the kidney system. So we have seaweed, oysters, clams. Actually, what's fascinating is, I'm not telling you to go eat some oyster shells, but an oyster shell is a an herb. They actually will grind up and pulverize oyster shells to do things like calm the shen, which is like calm your spirit to get you out of a manic state and into a calming state, as well as other benefits here. But salty can go dark. We can have way too much salt in our diet with all the chips and all the other stuff, and it will overload our system. I think that salty and sweet flavors have this unique ability to, when you have way too much of it, to almost like dull your taste bud senses and into other flavors. And yes, there are other flavors out there. In the five element theory, so we first have the fire element and its flavor, you would think it's pungent and acrid, but that's actually the flavor for the metal element, which we'll get into in a second. Fire element's flavor is bitter. So bitter flavor is going to cool and descend and move things down. If you have an infection, you want that bitter flavor. And referring back to those young sores I talked about earlier, angry, red, pussy, pimples, they often start with excess heat in the body flaring up and out to the skin. So looking for a bitter flavor profile for a face mask or even ingesting is going to help soothe that fire within. So bitter is one of those flavors that I I feel like rather than like being a caricature representation of the fire element, it's more of a flavor that brings balance to the fire element. Then we're moving to the earth element and I've mentioned sweet, but bland is also a very wonderful flavor for the earth element, especially if your earth element is overloaded, your digestive system is slow, you eat way too many sweets all the time, you're feeling foggy, you got some diarrhea going on. Having a really bland meal can help counteract that. When I got COVID and I had like the worst migraines and brain fog and diarrhea. Miss Ping from our library, she made me a super bland meal of, I think it was like barley, rice, and jujubes. And I ate that and I felt amazing afterwards. It like cleared me right up. Then we also have the flavor of the metal element. The metal element's flavor, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's pungent or acrid or spicy. 
And so like, you know, when you have a lot of spicy foods and it you start dripping from your nose, well, the lungs manifest in the nose, or maybe you start sweating. Well, the lungs are responsible for opening and closing the pores. So say if you have a cold with a lot of mucus, a pungent herb or food is going to like onions. Onions are pungent. They're going to really help support your lung system. Next, we have the water element. I talked about the salty. And then the final element is wood, the liver. And that flavor is sour. So it has more of that action of binding and contraction. And it's interesting because in my state of life where I was not aware of any of this stuff, but I was very sick and I was a very much a liver person. My liver was in major excess from years of repressed anger, as well as digestive issues and all these other things. I was always craving sour foods, sour candy, um, fermented foods, zesty lemon, lime, the, the zestiest avocado. That was what I wanted all the time. And it was a sign. If I had known, it would have been my sign that my liver element is off balance. And what was interesting is I had an issue with acid reflux and it was because of my liver wood element being out of balance and I didn't realize, I don't know why, but I didn't realize that the more sour foods that I had, the more of that contraction squeezing sensation, if you know acid acid reflux or any of that, you know that feeling, it's the worst and I was just so out of touch and out of tune and I didn't know, I didn't know any better that I wasn't aware of how I was contributing further to that pattern. So when we are craving certain flavors, it might mean that you need a little bit more of it in your life. Like my friend was asking me for some advice. She's been experiencing a lot of mucus and a lot of lung issues. And I told her like, have the most onionist of onion soups out there. And she was saying, that's so funny because I've been really craving onions. And I told her, well, that that's why, because your body has this beautiful, innate intelligence of what it really needs. But there's also that point where, yes, a craving can come from a deep inner knowing, but a craving can also come from an emotion or a more surface level of like, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's actually revealing that there is true disbalance. I definitely think that while our bodies can guide us to the truth, they can also lead us astray if we're not well attuned to our little nuances. All right, let's move on to number seven, which is constantly seeking joy. The fire element, its emotion is joy. Its organ is the heart, and the heart is the emperor of our soul, of our shen, as they like to say, So, or, or, or your spirit. And there are different nuances between the differences of our soul and a spirit, but I'm not going to really get into that. But in Chinese medicine, the shen, which lives in the heart, is the emperor of the body and mind system. So connecting that body to mind here. And it carries your soul's mandate. It knows your inner truth at all times and is essential for maintaining a strong sense of self and inner autonomy. 
When the shen is disturbed, it can ex- express as mania, disassociation, poor brown- boundaries, an inability to know yourself or express your truth. And a healthy shen is it's shown by an ability to maintain appropriate boundaries and relationships, an ability to step into harmony with your life's direction and also with what life brings to you. So with the the emotion of joy, it's not it's different from all the other emotions of the five element theory because compared to fear and anger and worry, joy isn't something that's really difficult for us to feel, right? It's not something we really avoid or repress. However, we talk about in class moments of extreme joy. So say if you won the lottery or your your spouse who you thought was deployed in across the world in the military comes home and surprises you and you're in a state of shock. It's like you don't really even know what to do with yourself. And, you know, sometimes people who have um, more sensitivities or more deficiencies, they can actually end up fainting. But just like I mentioned earlier, and I, I'm sure you, you're, you're picking up what I've been putting down about this whole concept of balance of yin and yang, but joy can become pathological when there is repressed joy as well as excessive joy. In a typical Chinese medicine perspective, excessive joy can be seen as mania, so that manic phase of bipolar disorder. But I believe that, you know, that's not the average human and it can be extreme. So what I see joy as and what other practitioners when I've discussed or done research, what we can see joy as is an excessive joy, is addiction to pleasure. And then, of course, we understand the repressed joy that can be depression. And that can actually, I'm reading The Body Keeps a Score right now. And he talks about you can you know somebody has PTSD by their inability to allow themselves to experience real joy. I think we can all understand what can happen when we don't allow ourselves to feel joy. But to give you... Um, a couple of symptoms, what can happen when joy is disbalanced in the body is you can have experiences of insomnia, heart palpitations, irregular heartbeat, excessive dreaming, poor long-term memory, and other psychological disorders. So I want to talk about more this addiction to joy that our society has, this addiction to dopamine. We are surrounded constantly by products and companies and marketing tools that are trying to elicit an emotional response so that you can want and buy the product or stay on the product, stay on the social media website so that you can experience that constant funneling in of dopamine. And I understand that experiencing dopamine, dopamine, that pleasure response, it's not necessarily the experience of joy. I understand that feeling happy. I, I, I heard somebody say once, happy is an external feeling while joy is a deep internal feeling that you feel within. I know that there is a difference, big difference between that, but we're talking about the spectrum here. We're talking about all the little nuances and I believe I see how it affects our psychology, this constant addiction to joy and to feeling good. And I think so many of us, we've grown up with so much 
pleasure and joy and happiness being told like that's the goal that's what we need or we haven't felt it but we're like okay this is what we need though like the happiness project I gotta find my joy and my happiness in order to feel fulfilled but I think a lot of us forget that on the way to finding your joy you're gonna experience other emotions fear anger, sadness. It's all a part of that full spectrum of life experiences. And it's okay to feel those things. It's, it's okay to, to allow yourself to drown in your grief and to cry all the fucking time and then let it go and then let it go. It's okay to feel furious at something that happened to you in the past and to sit in your room and to fucking yell and destroy and journal and, 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 you know, express all of that anger and give yourself, maybe go on a retreat and experience days of anger, go on an ayahuasca ceremony. And the whole time you're roaring like a demon. Yes, that is to me, experiencing those, that full spectrum, that is the key to finding joy. Not feeling constantly like, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. That is, that is a one-way ticket to numbing out and to not even really understanding what's really going on in your body. I think that there's a lot of products and a lot of you know, marketing geniuses out there that understand the dopamine circuit. And oh my gosh, I listened to, I saw the funniest reel about, it was like somebody listens to Andrew Huberman once and they're like, oh, I gotta do, I gotta, (laughs) it was like, he was saying, part of my morning routine is I put myself in complete darkness so that I can deprive my body of dopamine so that I can reset my dopamine neural network. Um, I think the dopamine reward circuit has become a little bit of a buzzword in some communities. But yeah, like we got to deprive our bodies of dopamine in order to have a healthy network of dopamine system within our body. And if it's constantly inundated, if that path is constantly trampled on again and again, then it's going to become weak and it's not going to respond to regular dopamine induce or serotonin inducing stimuli it's gonna have to take like you gotta find something novel and big and grand and it becomes this you're you're chasing the dragon here so that's my whole spiel on constantly seeking joy and (laughs) how it can create pathology here number eight here let's actually i feel like I'm I did I I'm doing that thing that I did in the last I I tried to break up everything of talking about esoteric or emotional things and then mixing it in with physiological things so that you're not having that fire hose of information at you but as we're starting to wrap up this podcast and get to the last couple of ones let's all take a deep inhale and exhale together One more, inhaling in. Exhale. And of course, if you feel like you need a break, taking a snack break or whatever, I kind of feel like I need a snack break here. But yeah, give give that to yourself. Actually, yeah, I'm going to give myself a snack break and I will be right back. 
And we're back. Let's get into number eight. Number eight is not living by the seasons. So for this, wow, this whole podcast is really about the five element theory here. I'm going to jump into, before really getting into the nitty gritty of it, I'm going to jump into the different seasons according to the different elements. So we've got the fire element. Its season is summer and the, the quality of the summer is heat. Next, we have the earth element. And for those of us who are closer to the equator, we understand that we've got that, that we've got summer, but we also have that late summer. In Florida, we call it hurricane season. In other parts of the world, it's monsoon season. So look at late summer as that damp, wet, hot season. Next, we have autumn, which is the metal element, and the nature of autumn is dryness. And then we have winter, which is part of the water element. And as you can imagine, its nature is cold and contraction. And finally, there's spring. Spring is the wood element, and its nature is expansion as well as wind. People tend to get sick during spring with that transition of seasons. We have a lot of pollen in the air, and the wind's moving that pollen around. And so we have all these seasons going on externally in our outside world, and then we also have internal seasons. Ideally, we are eating and living life according to the seasons, but we have grown up in a world, especially I think in the States, where there is a disconnect from the, 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 the reality of how much the seasons exist within us and the, the seasons outside of us will affect us. We talk a lot about how seasons can create pathology in Chinese medicine. And we actually will categorize certain pathologies in different seasons. And so when you are ideally living with the seasons and eating according to the seasons, life is good. You have an appropriate expression of different emotions in your life. You have that natural explosion of joy in the summer and then you start to kind of grieve seeing the world around you die and you have a natural normal expression of grief and saying goodbye to the the glory days and the long the long days of summer and then you start to move into winter and winter is a time of death and death can feel scary sometimes and it's totally normal to feel scared and so that actually the emotion of the winter is is fear and it's and you know I really think too you don't necessarily have to feel afraid all winter like I'm just you know using this as examples but you know I I think it's totally normal to slow down to turn in on yourself to ask yourself really deeper questions within the winter season but it's like Rather than that natural way of being, winter has turned into an explosion of activity. We've got all this, the holidays. And in Florida, winter is our our on season where all the snowbirds come down. I grew up in a, a vacation town, West Palm Beach. And that was when summer was when everything was quiet and winter was when everything like it was bumping, especially living in Florida. I mean, you are going to have a little bit of a wonky time with seasons, but let's move on. We've got spring and spring is anger. It's emotion is anger, but I think hope 
when we when the the liver its spirit i've been talking about like the po which is the spirit of the lungs and the shen which is the overall spirit of the body but the spirit of the heart the liver spirit is called the hun and the hun has to do with hope it helps us with our processing of anger and whatnot but really i feel like hope is that emotion of spring. And when I I experienced my first spring when I lived in New Zealand in 2019, oh my God, that hope, there was no emotion like it. It made me realize how valuable I find the seasons in my life because I went through a whole winter and then I'm like, when is it over? When is it over? When's it going to start warming up? And when you see those bare trees start to bud and blossom, oh, it's like something within my heart opened up and I could feel so much hope. So feeling that full spectrum of emotions within the seasons and going through those full energetic stages of having an excess of energy or feeling like it's time to start preparing for some quiet and alone time and then feeling that contraction slowing down of winter and then feeling that expansion the movement of spring is full expansion so you you want to start cleaning things out and you want to start socializing again I know that we're in spring right now I don't know when this podcast will be and I think it'll be more closer to summer by the time this podcast is out but I'm definitely feeling that natural spring within me I'm feeling myself wanting to actually I see the two transitionary months spring and fall to be really pivotal points within my internal seasons because I've noticed now that I'm aware of how the seasons go I'm feeling a desire to expand and to cleanse, to help support my liver, to cut certain things out of my diet that I know that I was really loving having in winter time and like packing myself up, (laughs) having some more sweets and treats or some more heavy meals. I I see myself craving lighter meals and doing things that are going to help aid my body in a detox and getting rid of shit, letting my shit expand by letting it go, letting it go to another home. And then in the autumn as well, I think it's a totally natural thing to feel like you want to start letting things go. The energetic movement of autumn is descending and dispersing. The leaves falling off the trees. I always feel like I'm craving a cleanse to let go of any sort of dampness that I built up over the summer and the late summer. And just like with spring, it's like I'm preparing my body for any sort of excess dampness that might come with summer, especially being in Florida. We got a lot of humidity here. Now in the fall, it's like I'm shedding that dampness. So I'm going back into that cleansing phase where I'm cutting things out of my diet. But then it's like I feel this natural desire to let other things go in my life and to slow things down and maybe get off of social media more or put less things on my to-do list as I'm, I'm slowing things down. So living by the seasons, eating seasonally, look into that. Look into Chinese medicine, um, eating seasonally or Chinese medicine, five element theory, seasons and food. You'll find you'll find information out there. Google is your friend here. 
But yeah, when you start to have this lens, all of a sudden you realize it's not weird that your emotions and your lifestyle and your energy is shifting along with the seasons here. Let's get into number nine. We're continuing on this five element thread with the emotions. And I'm going to talk about how allowing fear to make decisions for you is hurting your health. So I mentioned earlier, it's totally normal and natural to experience fear. But what I think we all tend to do is we distract ourselves away from fear and we become unconscious of how fears playing a role in our life. And then what usually happens is fear makes decisions for us. And so we are operating from not a place of expansion, but a place of contraction. Because as I mentioned, fear is, the, is part of the water element. The season for the water element is winter. The movement of winter is contraction and going deep. And so when you are allowing fear to control and make decisions in your life, you are keeping yourself from expanding and you're causing contraction here and you're slowing everything down. Fear is of the kidney system. And as I mentioned earlier, the kidney system is a system you don't want to mess around with. You want to nourish your kidneys as much as possible because when you do that, truly everything follows suit. And I, I know, that I, I feel like I've said that with other elements, but I really mean it with the water and the kidneys here. <laughs> really nourish your kidneys, nourish your water and listen to your fear. Listen to it. Why is it showing up here? Journal about it. I love fearscaping. So what I do is, when I'm afraid of something, I write I write down that 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 thing that I'm afraid of. So I was afraid to start the podcast. Okay, why was I afraid to start the podcast? Because I was afraid that everyone would laugh at me. Okay, if everyone laughed at me, what would happen there? Well, if everyone laughed at me, then no one would take me seriously. Okay. What would happen if no one took me seriously? Then I would be, I feel really alone. I would feel like no one really cared. Okay, what would happen if I didn't, if no one cared? Then I wouldn't be taken care of. I would be alone in life. Okay, what would happen then? Then I would die. Usually it's like when I fearscape at the end of it, it's like, I'm afraid because I'm going to die. And it's my ego. It's my ego here that's truly afraid. And it's driving me from doing things that... I, my soul craves and wants. So when you can fearscape, you kind of will realize that your actions based around your fear are pretty and your beliefs based around your fear are pretty illogical and are kind of, I don't want to, um, what's that word? I don't want to scoff or make light of your fears, but they can be pretty silly. The ego can create some pretty silly stories to keep you from being the human you're meant to be. So on that vein, I want to talk about the spirit of the kidneys, which is the chur. It also, chur also means willpower. So how do we remedy fear with courage and willpower, the willpower to keep moving forward? The chur carries the intelligence of our ancestors and the wisdom of the collective unconscious. By the way, when I've been talking about these spirits of our organ systems, I am referring to Stephanie Nosko, who is on Instagram. She's really 
an excellent resource for all the etheric qualities in Chinese medicine. So when out of balance, the chur expresses a loss of faith and a fear of the unknown. It shows up as an inability to trust the ebbs and flows of life. When in balance, the chur expresses as the ability to be authentically who we are. There is an alignment of our life force energy with our natural gifts, talents, and interests, and the season of life that we are in. So let's let fear be the messenger rather than the guide. Listen to your fear and then remind yourself or activate your chur, activate your willpower, remind yourself who you are and where you've been and the team of ancestors, guides that you have behind you. Number 10. Yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) You guys, I put 11 points. What the fuck? Why did I do that? Oh, my God. We have 21 ways of how we're hurting our health. I'm going to make these two super simple. I'm sure your brain is fried. You are loving and also done with hearing my voice. So, Number 10 is overdoing it and overhealing it and not trusting your body to do its thing. I know I've talked a lot about the ways to help your body using herbal medicine, energy, inner awareness to understand where are you disbalanced. But at the end of the day, sometimes the medicine you need is to surrender to what already is. You also have to trust that your body innately knows how to do its thing. Yes, there there are systems in place that are set up to keep us f- f- away from our own intuition, to keep our, ourselves distracted. There are also pathogenic factors which can blur your intuition and your deep inner knowing. Like that example with the cravings. My liver was in excess and I was craving sour because the liver was controlling the conversation. And it was it was keeping me from understanding intuitively what foods I actually needed to eat here. Like, for example, a friend of mine, um, her friend had an appendectomy. They got their appendix removed and they were asking her what supplements and foods and things that they need to be doing in order to heal their body from that surgery and my friend asked me like what do you think that they should do and I was like rest (laughs) listen to their body I mean I feel like there is a point where we can overdo it and we become like over obsessed with being balanced we're like oh my god we're disbalanced we need to figure this shit out so that we can be the perfect best humans but I'm reading this book called I always butcher the name I think it's like Red bird rises, dragon flies, or dragon rises, red bird flies. That's it. Dragon rises, red bird flies. And he talks about how there can be so much beauty within our internal disbalances. An example he gave was Albert Einstein. So Albert Einstein had an excess of kidney yin in the body. And a lot of traditional Chinese medicine practitioners They don't believe that there's excess in the kidneys, but in my research, I'm starting to believe that there can be. Usually they talk about kidneys always being deficient and never excess, but I think that there is a possibility where there is excess in the kidneys. And so Einstein was an excess of kidney yin. So he didn't really move much. He wasn't a very physical or aggressive person. And he spent a lot of time reading and learning and and thinking about the world and all these 
abstract and etheric quantum concepts. And yeah, maybe that excess of yin, it it may have hurt his life in other ways. Maybe he was a little bit antisocial. Maybe it was hard to understand. But the beauty that came out of Einstein owning himself, his disbalance for who he is. I mean, I'm sure sure Einstein, when he accepted his awards and accolades, wasn't like, I want to give a special thank you to the excess of kidney in in my system. (laughs) But I, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here is your innate disbalance can actually be your superpower if you allow it to be. And I don't, think that we should hold on to these disbalances. I think our ego sometimes wants to be like, that's just the way I am and the way I'll always will be. That's actually, that's actually a sign that you've got some hangups on your trauma and a little bit of, um, a lack of flexible thinking around your way. I think that we are, again, ever-changing, ever-evolving, but sometimes you don't have to heal the disbalance that's there. Sometimes the key is to accept and to love that innate disbalance within and trust that your body knows how to guide you to equilibrium, whether that's through action or inaction. Number 11, because apparently I put a number 11 down. The very last thing is not slapping your body more Slap your arms, slap your glutes, slap your legs, slap your face, slap the top of your head. These are all going to activate all the meridian systems. So meridians, you could see them as rivers out of energy that flow through your system. All your acupuncture points, all your your organs, they manifest on the top layers of your body. So when you are slapping the sides of your body, you're activating your gallbladder system. So if you're feeling a lack of courage, the gallbladder has all to do with courage. Start slapping your outer thighs, start slapping your glutes, the outer edges of your lower legs. If you feel like you've got some respiratory stuff going on, slap the insides of your arms, slap your chest, move that mucus around, activate your chi and enjoy it. Put a smile on your face while you are slapping yourself silly. All right, guys, I have no idea how long this podcast is going to be. I have a feeling it's, it's a very long one. So thank you so much for being here, for keeping your attention, staying with me for manifesting energy to learn. And I really, really hope that you gained something out of it. I I know you did. I know you gained something. And I hope that it's something that you can easily apply to your everyday life so that you can be the best human that is out of balance and constantly seeking balance and also accepting the little pieces of us that are out of balance that you can be. Thank you for doing the work too. I think that when we are doing something as simple as listening to a podcast or taking a couple of deep breaths, we don't really give that moment that much credit, but it really is the little moments throughout the day, the little whispers that we act on that create that big, massive life change that help us become the beings who we are destined to be. All right, my friend, that is it for this episode. If you are still here, 
wow, you you are a real one. You are my kind of human. I appreciate your time and your attention so very much. Just a reminder, if you would like the notes for this episode, go ahead and leave me a review and send me a screenshot and I will send you an organized PDF of all the juicy TCM information that I have covered. If you would like to work with me, you can find my information on energy work, ceremonies, all that good stuff at schoolofwhispers.com. It's also in the show notes. If you would like to visit me at the clinic, Florida College of Integrative Medicine, also known as FCIM, it's in Orlando, Florida. Go to the show notes. I have the website, the information there. Give them a call. Ask for Stephanie. I'm there Mondays and Tuesdays. And during the summer, I'll be there on other days. And I will be there until December 2023. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be feeling your energy very soon. This podcast is solely for the purpose of entertainment. It is not a means of diagnosing. If you have a real medical concern, please consult your healthcare practitioner.